Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, November 11th, 2018, and this is show number 705. Well, we are at a secret remote location in the desert for the show tonight, also known as Steve's sister's house. We invited ourselves to Elaine and her husband Daryl's house in Arizona. Pretty much the only way we ever get to go anywhere. We just invite ourselves places. Heck, ask Marianne and Devin how we ended up in New Zealand after we invited ourselves to their wedding. True story. Anyway, we're having a blast out here. We're hiking and horseback riding and, and eating and even just hanging out. I highly recommend Elaine's bed and breakfast. She even put mints on her pillows. All right, enough fun uh, time, times talking about our summer vacation with Steve's sister. Actually, it's a winter vacation now. But uh, So let's dig into the show. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is a little bit different. You've met Joe Dugancic a few times before on Chit Chat and in our CES coverage. He does the Smarter Home Life YouTube channel and blog, and he also happens to live in a tiny home. On our trip to Phoenix to visit Steve's sister, we added a day to get a chance to visit Joe and see his tiny home in real life. During the uh, interview on Chit Chat, he walks me through his home, explaining the work he's done using lighting to create the feeling of multiple living spaces, even though it's all in a single room. He's taken home automation to the graduate level by programming in scenes using the Indigo platform on his Mac and integrating these scenes into Insteon switches on the walls of his tiny home. He actually uses uh, Python and AppleScript to do that. He even takes us on a tour of his tiny closet, where he has not only all of his clothes and, you know, the normal things you would have in a closet, but also all of the gear stowed away to create his YouTube channel, including multiple tripods, LED light panels, and green screen. Steve recorded video as well, and that video will be posted on Monday. We chose to delay it by one day because he only had the old black-gray-red intro video on his MacBook Pro, so we're going to have to wait until he gets home to pull in the blue and red intro. I'm sure you understand why we had a delay for such an important thing as branding. As always, the audio is in the Chit Chat Across the Pond and Chit Chat Across the Pond Light feed, and it's embedded into the page on podfeet.com, and the video will be embedded in that same page when it's produced. I don't usually plug new podcasts, but I'm going to do exactly that. You know, I'm a huge fangirl of the SMR podcast. Getting to know Rod and Rob and Chris over the years through the show, and then in person with at least Rod and Rob, still have not met Chris. Anyway, it's been a blast getting to know at least two of the three in real life, for Steve and me. A frequent guest on the SMR podcast is a guy named Terrence Gaines. Terrence brings an ever-so-slight Apple bias to the show so that I don't have to carry the load all the time. Terrence, also known as Brother Tech, has teamed up with his friend Nika Montford to start an Apple-centric show called Snob OS. I mean, seriously, how great is that name? I thought I leaned into my Apple bias. Anyway, Nika is so my people. I haven't met her yet, but she just sounds awesome. She has a Bachelor's of Science in both electrical and computer engineering, and she's getting her master's from Georgia Tech. Now, if this was just another Mac podcast, I probably wouldn't have brought it up. But Nika and Terrence are bringing something very unique. Wait, I always learned you don't put an adjective with unique. They're bringing something unique to the table. Along with the usual Apple news, tips and tricks, cool software and gadgets, which we all love, right? They're also going to flavor the show with a cultural angle. Being African-American, they both hope to bring to light the viewpoint of people of color and how their world might be different from most mainstream tech users. 
I really like learning about how other people experience the world, and this sounds like a great opportunity to do that. They're not going to be all preachy or anything like that. It's just, you know, some extra spice added to the mix. I told Terrence that they made a huge mistake with their inaugural episode. You're supposed to look back and laugh at how awful it was, but their first episode was great. It's called Origin Stories, and it lets you learn a bit about them, and then it jumps right into the tech. I hope you'll go check it out at snoboscast.com or look for snobos in your podcatcher of choice. They even spelled it like macOS with lowercase snob and uppercase os all run together as one word. So look it up again as snobos in your podcatcher of choice. It seems that iPads are gaining in popularity lately, and perhaps you have an, your eye on one of the new devices announced recently. Or perhaps you have an older iPad and you're looking for a good use for it. Whether you're looking to justify the new purchase or looking for something to do with the old one, have you considered using your iPad as a second screen for your Mac? I know you've heard this promise before with an app called Duet Display. Duet Display was designed to extend your desktop like a real display, but it had some drawbacks. You must be hardwired with either a lightning cable or a 30-pin cable for your older iPad model. Duet Display also only supports 1080p resolutions, not full retina. It's also got some compatibility problems with more recent versions of macOS. I tested it out on Mojave, and it doesn't work as designed any longer. They included a little video to explain that it doesn't work from their menu bar app any longer and how to access it from AirPlay. I got it into a mode where it didn't fill the screen on the iPad, and I couldn't get it back up. So, in my opinion, Duet Display is not a good option until they get that fixed. There's another app in this space that we've talked about before called AstroPad from AstroPad. I'm sorry, AstroPad.com. It costs $30. AstroPad solves a different problem. Instead of extending your desktop, it mirrors your desktop to your iPad. With your desktop mirrored, you can use your Apple Pencil, a regular stylus, or even your finger to draw in applications that are running on your Mac. I wrote up AstroPad a while back in 2015. Now, AstroPad comes in the standard version I reviewed for $30 one time or in a professional version for $80 per year. While AstroPad is a really cool app, it is targeted towards drawing and doing image manipulation on your iPad, but nothing else. The folks at AstroPad decided to design a method to use the iPad as a second display for your Mac, but they wanted to make sure it had as little latency as possible, so they came up with a hardware solution, not just a software solution. They created a device called Luna Display, and they decided to crowdfund it on Kickstarter. I made a private pact with myself not to ever talk to you guys about crowdfunded projects because I don't want to ever be in a position of convincing you to back something that never comes to fruition. But I'm glad to tell you that this Kickstarter campaign was successful and Luna Display went up for sale as a real product. As soon as it did, I immediately purchased it. Luna Display is a tiny USB device that comes in two configurations. It looks like a miniature thumb drive, and I mean miniature, and it comes in either USB-C or mini DisplayPort versions. Both of them are $80. To operate Luna Display, you need to install the Luna Display software on your Mac and on your iPad, and both apps are free. Simply plug in the Luna Display, and your Mac will automatically launch the Luna Display app and tell you to launch the iPad version. A note will come on screen to tell you that your displays will blink a few times. It's good that they warn you because it would be a bit disconcerting. Otherwise, you would think something had really gone wrong. After a few blinks, you'll see your Mac's desktop showing on your iPad. The Mac will display a window entitled Luna Display Settings. 
This setting screen tell, uh, lets you tell the apps whether your iPad is to the left or right of your Mac. This works fine if the iPad is simply sitting on a table next to your notebook. But if you have a more complex environment, there's a button called Custom, which then launches macOS's display preference pane. From there, you can rearrange displays at will. I was able to arrange the display in my MacBook Pro with my iPad as a display and my 27-inch LG display in any arrangement I desired. The last option on the Luna Display Settings window is to enable, to enable or disable Retina resolution on your iPad. Retina looks fantastic on iPad, and it's not wee tiny so you can't see. It's just crisp and clear. I've been using Luna Display with two different iPads over the last few weeks. The 12.9-inch iPad Pro, the second generation, adds a screen that's even bigger than a 13-inch MacBook Pro. I guess that's true of the new one as well. When I travel, like I am right now, it is super handy because I'm away from my big monitor. When I'm at home, I'm actually finding the 9.7-inch iPad Pro to be really useful with the Luna display. I do that because the the 9.7 is just small enough that I can actually put it in front of my big monitor and it doesn't occlude the big screen. I'm finding that the 9.7-inch screen is perfect to host one application in full screen. For example, when I do the live show, I never have enough screen in front of me to keep an eye on the live chat in Discord. I know I could look to my right to my MacBook Pro, but that's actually really far away and it makes me look away from the camera so I won't be looking at the audience when I'm looking at the live chat. You might ask, why don't you just run Discord natively on the iPad? Well, I can't do that because my audio from my Mac is actually piped into Discord so people can hear the show that way. That means I have to be in Discord on the Mac. I've also found out just in normal working at my desk that having our Slack group open or maybe Telegram on the iPad is really nice. In that case, I could run the native apps, but it seems natural to just slide them down there. In fact, I can put them both on the iPad in full screen mode and they end up in separate spaces because the iPad is actually the Mac screen. It's kind of mind-bendy, right? Well, speaking of mind-bendy, you can use your Mac's keyboard to type on the iPad when it's a second display but you can also use the keyboard attached to your iPad to type on the iPad when it's actually a Mac. I use the smart keyboard and it works on that little Mac screen as well. Not really sure why that works. Well, things get slightly weirder when you use your fingers with gestures on the iPad. I mentioned putting two apps in different spaces on the iPad screen. If I use my Mac's trackpad with four fingers, I can swipe back and forth between the spaces on the iPad, just like with any Mac display and spaces. I have, uh, I have used the trackpad to, I, I do have to use the trackpad to tap on the iPad screen first to make sure it's the Mac screen being manipulated. But there's also a natural tendency to use your fingers directly on the iPad screen. I tried a four-fingered swipe on the iPad, and it flipped between the Mac and the iOS. The, I'm sorry, the iOS. It's flipped between the Mac OS and iOS. And that really confused me at first, but it makes complete sense. The iPad sees Luna Display as a simple app. So using four fingers on the iPad screen just flips back and forth between the two apps that are running in iOS. Still kind of mind-bendy. All right, here's another one to twist your brain. On a Mac, you scroll on a trackpad with two fingers. On an iPad, you scroll with one finger. When you're using Luna Display and you want to scroll the Mac display on the iPad, you have to use two fingers to scroll because it's a Mac, right? Again, this makes sense, but you have to train your brain that when you're touching the iPad, you're actually touching a Mac. So you have to, you have to train yourself. The good news is you can use two fingers on the Mac's trackpad to scroll the iPad screen as well. 
When you do use your fingers directly on the iPad screen to scroll, you'll see bright pink circles under your fingers as you scroll on screen. I'm not sure why they make it so vivid, but you absolutely can't miss it. When you touch the iPad screen with two fingers, you'll also see pink crosshairs with arrows. The crosshairs appear to be a visual indicator to let you know that you can pinch and zoom if the Mac app you're in actually supports that. For example, I put a Safari window on the iPad and I was able to zoom in and out on web pages. I mentioned the ability to toggle on and off the Retina display on the iPad. I've noticed that scrolling is faster using my fingers on the iPad when Retina is turned off, but oddly it's about the same speed when I use the trackpad to scroll. I'll definitely keep the Luna display on Retina. By now, at least some of you are wondering whether your older iPad or older Mac can run Luna Display. The good news is that compatibility goes really far back. In their compatibility section, they say that it requires a Mac running macOS 10.11, that's El Capitan, or later. And for optimal performance, they recommend 2012 or later MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, Mac Mini, and iMac. For the Mac Pro, they recommend 2013, sorry, late 2013 or better. On the iPad side, they say it requires iOS 9.1 or later and an iPad 2 or later and any iPad mini or iPad Pro. I got to tell you, Luna Display will definitely give your old iPad something to do in its old age. Now, you might be wondering how well Luna Display works from a latency perspective. If scrolling and moving windows around on screen is slow, then this isn't going to be an option most people would want to use. It turns out that the response time of Luna Display is highly dependent on your Wi-Fi signal. I've been using it primarily at my desk in my studio, which is quite close to my router, and it performs really well. I tried it out on my back porch, where the signal strength is poor, and the iPad wouldn't even connect to Luna Display on the Mac that was sitting right next. When I had a mediocre signal, the screen would look pretty jacked up while dragging a window or scrolling, but once it stopped, it was still clear and readable. They do recommend that you can connect over USB if you would like it to work better. They include a window you can bring up from within the Luna Display app called Latency. This app gives you a real-time graph of latency and throughput, which is super fun to watch. I ran some tests using both my 2.4 and 5 GHz network, sitting in one of the worst rooms in the house. I scrolled around in an app projected onto the iPad, and the latency was significantly lower on 5 GHz. The throughput peaked at around 1.2 megabytes per second on 2.4 gigahertz and was more than double that on 5 gigahertz. Clearly, Luna Display favors the 5 gigahertz network. If you have trouble connecting your iPad to your Mac, there's also a manual connection option. The Mac app shows a QR code and the iPad app will launch the camera to project to capture that QR code. I wasn't able to test it because the iPad and Mac, in my case, were able to connect normally. I mentioned that you can use Apple Pencil to interact with your iPad over Luna Display. In this mode, you do not get pressure sensitivity with Pencil like you do on the iPad Pro natively. However, you can combine Luna and AstroPad together and get the best of both worlds. I confirmed that pressure sensitivity worked perfectly. The AstroPad interface has a section that shows your, your latency. When I was USB connected, it said 3 milliseconds, and when I switched to 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi, it went up to 5 to 7 milliseconds. I have to say that as I drew on screen, I could see that it was a smidge behind me, but nothing that would even come close to bothering me. I have to say that AstroPad is really advanced since I last used it, so many more features and things to play with that I got distracted from working on this review for Luna Display. 
If you do own AstroPad, it's essentially like using the supplied Luna Display software on steroids. You get all of the display sharing capability, but also the enhanced pencil support and great drawing tools within Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer, or even Photoshop and Lightroom. There are a couple of constraints with Luna Display. You cannot use it with any kind of adapter or hub. It must be directly connected to your Mac. You can't use it on multiple iPads at the same time, but you don't have to do any kind of pairing to toggle between two iPads. Luna Display is currently shipping to the US, Canada, and Japan. I'm looking at you, Kaylee, and also the European Union. I have had a problem on a few occasions where Luna Display wouldn't connect, even at my desk near the router. I'm pretty sure we have figured out together that it's an interference problem with my Thunderbolt 3 dock and the USB-C cable coming into my Mac from the dock. I've noticed that if I use the USB-C ports on the opposite side for Luna Display from the cable, it works much more consistently than if I have it on the same side with the USB-C cable. I asked the Astro uh, folks, what kind of witchcraft is Luna Display actually doing? It does require Wi-Fi or a USB uh, connection to work, So what is the hardware device actually doing? My little friend Jeremy from Astro sent me this answer. Luna Display does indeed use your iPad and computer's network connection, either via Wi-Fi, they're both on, or via USB connection, which is a network connection under the hood. The Luna device itself isn't responsible for this aspect. Its job is to look like a display that matches your connected iPad in size to the Mac. That makes it so that it looks like a real display with GPU support and everything. So, like I said, it's a bit of witchcraft. I have to say, I think the $80 Luna display is a great investment if you have an iPad or if you need to justify buying another one. Check it out at lunadisplay.com. Whenever you hear me talk about a gadget on the show, I will always try to give you a link to the product on Amazon. If you learn about a product on the show and it sounds nifty to you, I'd really appreciate it if you use the link I provided. These are affiliate links, which means if you buy through that link, a small percentage of what you spend goes to the Podfeet coffers to help offset the cost of creating the show. I realize it can be a little extra effort to do this, so I appreciate all of you who do it. If you don't shop through Amazon or it's too hard to remember, you can always go to podfeet.com and click on the big red support the show button and find other ways to provide financial support for the podcast production. If you can't support the show financially, that is 100% fine. Do not worry about it. You can still annoy your friends, coworkers, random people in line at the grocery store and the DMV by telling them about all the fine podcasts over at podfeet.com. Thank you all for your support. We're going to do something completely different now. I'm actually sitting in my studio with Troy Shimkus, who's a friend of the show. He was out here visiting, and uh, Steve and I said, uh, hey, maybe we should meet up for coffee, and then it turned into a wonderful friendship. Anyway, say hi to everybody, Troy. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing today? Now, he's done a review for us before. What did you do a review on? Uh, the using... Uh, cutting the cable basically. So going into Apple TV and an antenna and how to get that all set up with all that together. Oh, right, right, right. Well, the reason I wanted him to come on the show today though was he made a, uh, he came to California to go on a little vacation. He has done more in like six days than we've done since we've lived here. Uh, one of the things he did was he took a pilgrimage up to the spaceship campus and I got such a kick out of watching him enjoy this that I wanted to have him come tell you about it. I'm going to just give my perspective real 
real quickly was I saw that he was there and I said, hey, let's do a FaceTime. And he gave me a virtual tour of a virtual tour of the Apple spaceship, uh, not not the campus itself, but uh, the uh, the gift shop and things like that. But uh, so first of all, why did you drive all the way to San Francisco from Los Angeles and back in a couple of days just to do this? Well, I'm, I'm an Apple nerd. So any chance I get to, to experience more Apple stuff, I'm going to take it. But 12 years ago, I was- Are you saying you're an ever so slight bias? Is that what you just said? My bias is probably a little more than ever so slight. <laughs> but about 12 years ago, I came to San Francisco on business and took a small day trip down to their campus at that point in time. And now that they've got this massive new one, I thought, well, I've got to go back and see the new one if I'm in the area, even though area is not the right term. It's, it's 300 new- miles away. <laughs> what do I know? It's, not, it's one big state. I just went anywhere. But um, so I wanted to kind of complete the circle, if you will, in their new spaceship campus and uh, kind of revisit where I was 12 years ago. Oh, cool. Cool. So um, you described it to Steve and I at dinner tonight. But so driving up, what do you see? So as you as you enter the area, all you see is this glass cube. It's what I think I call it a beautiful monstrosity because it is massive. And it's these floor to ceiling. I don't even know how many feet tall these panes of glass are, but the entire building is a rounded rectangle, I would say very much similar to the new iPad styling, um, just of glass. And so all around, there's like a big fishbowl, if you will. And so you don't even know where to go in because there's there's something to go into on every side. And so it was it was fun to kind of see that as just all inspiring and the natural wood tones against the, gra- against the glass. And then all the, the trees and the greenery they have around there just made you feel it makes you feel like you're entering an outdoor market in a way because there's just the glass just takes you away from the fact that it's a, a store or a building. Oh, interesting. Now, how close is this to the spaceship itself? Um, I would guess like a half a mile. I'm really bad at distances, but you could see the spaceship from the top uh, balcony they've got. Um, but it would probably be about a half mile or less just to get to the actual place. So it's you can see it, but it's it's hidden behind trees. So you get to see like a peak of it. But not the whole, not, not the whole thing. Now I know this sounds dumb to say that I feel like I've been there, but Troy, uh, when when I saw Troy was there, I got him, got him to put me on Facetime, and he pointed it at the spaceship, and that thing is huge. I was amazed how big that was. Yeah, much bigger than I, I guess anyone ever thought it would be. I mean, I'm sure if people have been watching those those aerial drone footages they've been doing, you might have had an inkling. But when you're standing there and you're in the store, which is massive, and then you look across and you see how big it is, I maybe saw like an eighth of the wedge of the pie if it were a pie and then you kind of see how big it will be from there and it's just it's massive wow wow okay so you finally figure out how to get into this cube (laughs) well i decided to just kind of walk straight at one of the corners and i figured i'd find out one way to go but what draw my what drew my eye was as you're walk as i'm walking up i see people surrounding this this slate of wood, something that looked bumpy. I couldn't really see what it was. And as I walk up to it, I, there's like all kinds of people just circling it, like, like little vultures with iPads in front of their faces. And they're doing that thing where they're getting low and high and ooh, ah, and they're all excited. And I'm walking up going, why are you're, you're just seeing a lumpy table, right? <laughs> all, yeah, all I see is a table. And I'm like, what are these people doing? I, I don't understand this. And so you walk in and then you notice, oh, they're like, it's an AR thing because they've got these iPads in their faces and they're, they're interacting with this table. And I started didn't know what it was. And so I go there and oh, yeah. you said you thought it was that game. That yeah, oh, that's right. No, I thought because from the keynote, they did that, that ping pong 
catapult thing that they were demonstrating with the AR at the development. Of the oh, development. right, 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 right. Yeah. So I thought it was that. And maybe it was like, oh, a really cool like in-store, like customer against customer ping pong thing. I thought, oh, that'd be kind of fun. But then as you get closer, you realize, well, that's not really what it is because they're all working independently. Um, and then you realize you have to get an iPad from one of the people there because it's a custom app they have on their iPad to work with the AR of this still what I thought was a table. And as you walk up to it, you realize it is a basically a scale model of the entire campus with the with all the buildings, including the store you're standing in and the spaceship campus. And and it's an AR overlay of that. And so you go and get one of those iPads and it's got a special app that you have to use their iPad. You can't get one on your own because I, I tried. <laughs> I try to find out, oh, what's the name of this app? Maybe I can download it somewhere. But no, not so much. Um, and it's just, it's an amazing. Wait, are you saying that Apple is being a control freak? Is that, <laughs> is that what you just said? Yeah, just a little bit, maybe. But, um, yeah. And so you, like, you grab it and you kind of do a pan around the table. And as you do that, it, it builds the entire landscape, including little cars and people all running around and you get to see all the trees pop up. And it's, it becomes like an immersive, really great example of what AR could possibly be. And I will say, obviously, it's extremely controlled environment, right? It's their table, it's their texture, it's their everything. But when you consider that this building is a big glass cube and it was during sunset and the sun was streaming really hard through the windows, I feel like that was a pretty good kind of tell about how they can handle that kind of interference because that there was if you got the wrong angle you got all sun in your face and it still worked so it was it did oh, oh it still did oh, yeah. Yeah. it did a really great job of actually maintaining the, the visual while you were there so uh I, I feel like i saw it but i bet it was even cooler in real life because so picture this i've got uh i'm talking to troy on my iphone and i of course just to make it more entertaining i was an animoji head while he was looking at me but he was holding his phone pointed at an iPad, pointed at a lumpy table. And I really felt like I, I experienced it. So he would, you'd go up to a building and you could take the roof off. How did you do that? Yeah. So they had this opportunity where you could just do a little swipe up on the buildings and the roof would kind of float above. And then you can see in the building and you would see all the fixtures and the, I was looking for people, but didn't see any people in there. <laughs> we did notice they had an open floor plan for the uh, workers though. We do know that they don't have, uh, didn't have distinct offices where we were looking. Yeah. Not so much. Um, you know, there was just, it was very open and they had trees in the middle of the building too, which I thought was really a nice touch as well. Yeah. Yeah. So after we looked at that, then you showed me some airflow thing. That was about the circular building. Yep. So they had three modes of this thing. One was kind of the live view and all that. And then they had one that showed you the airflow model of the building. And you kind of pull it up and it tells you a little bit about how they used cool air flowing over the building to actually cool the building. And that, that air is moved through the building and then expanded out as heated air. And they kind of reverse the process, I guess, in the, in the wintertime a little bit. But they do that, as they said, to eliminate pretty much any need for um, mechanically how they put it mechanically air Arti artificial control yeah. or whatever they were they weren't having to use heat exchangers i guess just using the natural flow of the air yeah and that, which is a really awesome thing and so it was this animated kind of airflow diagram i'm sure engineers would love because it was very it was animated like the red ones and the blue ones and just kind of moving around the building and it was really neat to see how they because being a circle obviously that means airflow from whatever direction would accomplish the goal so it's really neat I, again back to uh his excitement was so infectious because he was like a kid in a candy store when he goes he goes look allison there's little cars going into tunnels and you can see him going in but then you told me you said hey hang on i can make it look like nighttime how did you do that 
Yeah, they had a, a dial on the side that you could actually scroll through all times of the day and the sun would move and it would all kind of kind of shift all the shadows along with it. And <laughs> the coolest thing, the cars, the cars would have their headlights on at night. I'm like, as they went into the little tiny tunnels. And then you could watch them go into the tunnel and they disappear. And like, it was just, it was like watching a movie. You know, like that's just a level of detail that, why would they even do that? That is so funny. Now, I still haven't figured out how, if he was holding a phone, looking at an iPad, what he did the dial with. I swear, I think he did it with his nose. He says he did it with his pinky, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah it was whatever whatever finger or appendage was closest to the screen at some point. Well, that was pretty cool. Then, uh, uh, okay, my personal favorite part of his tour was that then he went into the actual store and uh, let me pick out some shirts to, uh, to have him buy for me because I don't know when I'm ever going to get up there. But uh, they had all kinds a really cool swag, right? Oh, yeah. And stuff you can only get there. So much so that um, I tried using the Apple Store app to buy it. Um, and the woman was like, you know, I was trying very hard. And she's like, no, you're not going to be able to do that, honey. So, so, so <laughs> honey. She, she was very cute. And she came over and she helped me understand, like, oh, because these are the only place in the world you can buy this material or these these goods, they had to go through their their people there. So they had, they had a special like checkout station for those areas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, could you buy like a Mac Pro or something? I mean, could you buy hardware there too? Oh, yeah. They had all the hardware there as well. And all these, you know, beautiful tables. Now in Florida, where I'm from, all we have are the Apple stores in the mall, right? So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a pretty mall store, but it's still a mall store and you don't get away from that. So walking up to this independent, beautiful structure and just the openness and all the tables laid out and it was a, a very different feel. And I think, you know, when you hear Angela Renz talk about the concept she wants to go through with these retail stores and the being what they call community centers and people coming together and learning and interacting, you, I, you feel that there because they even have a little cafe where they do amazing things with the coffee. <laughs> he sent me a picture of his mocha. It had a bear in the, in the foam. That was amazing. Yeah. It was, it was quite detailed. I'm thinking there's, there has to be a stencil. I, I wish I watched them make it because there, there's no way people are doing that by hand. Well, then maybe they are. <laughs> when you think about what we've heard about Steve Jobs when he uh, took a calligraphy course and that let him appreciate like the finer little details, you're still seeing that kind of uh, attention to that kind of detail all through all out all the apple things right oh absolutely and um you know in just from the top of the foam of a, of a coffee cup all the way through to the the downstairs area where the restrooms are where it's this kind of monochromatic terrazzo flooring with slate walls it's very when you walk down there it's kind of disorienting because it's all so monochromatic you don't really know what to do but of course there are several little apple people Pointing the way, knowing they, I guess they get a lot of visitors, so they all know, because there's definitely employee-only areas down there, and people were coming in and going, and easy to get lost, but it was just this, it was this beautiful, very minimalistic, very monochromatic, but very Apple at the same time. You could tell that Johnny Ive had been there at some point, right? <laughs> you can hear his voice echoing through the terrazzo floors. <laughs> well, this has been fun to have kind of a virtual tour. If uh, anybody gets up into that area, I would certainly want to want to go the next time I'm up there. I haven't been up in the region since uh, Macworld went away, but I, now I'm thinking maybe I need to do a pilgrimage to see it. I think so. I think if, if you're ever in the area, anyone can just kind of swing by there. It's very open and accessible, and it's, it's just a neat experience, especially if you don't have standalone stores in your area. Like, we don't have the big New York Cube and where I'm from. So it was a very nice way to understand what they're actually trying to do. All right. Very cool. Well, if uh, people want to chat with you, you're in our uh, Slack group, I believe, right? I am. And I use my full name. I'm one of those brave souls on the internet that uses my full name out there. So <laughs> I'm Troy Shimkus in the Slack. All right. Sounds good. You can find us at podfeet.com slash Slack. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. 
I've been working on a review of the new 12.9 inch iPad Pro, but since I'm obviously not the kind of person that gets one of these, you know, hot off the presses, it's got to be instantaneous kind of a review. I'd really like to spend a little bit more time with it and, and flesh out my thoughts about it. I've been, uh, I have opinions on the new pencil and especially the keyboard folio. Spoiler, I love it. Anyway, I'm going to tell you all about it next week. And so I'm actually going to cut the show a little bit short but you will hear about that next week. So, in other words, that is going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. And remember, anything you're looking for, everything good, starts with podfeet.com slash whatever you're looking for. So, you want to become a Patreon? You go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. You want to join our Facebook group, podfeet.com slash Facebook. Want to join our Slack community, which is going really, really well. That's over at podfeet.com slash slack. Want to join the live chat room? That's podfeet.com slash chat. Want to do those Amazon affiliate links I talked about? Podfeet.com slash Amazon. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nozilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.